What's up, family? It's episode 106 of The Genius Life. Can you believe it? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of The New York Times best-selling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to talk all things brain health and specifically mental health. My guest for this episode of the show is Dr. Daniel Amen, who's a very well-known psychiatrist. He uh, has health clinics across the United States and he sees over 4,000 patients each month. His um, Breakthrough public television programs uh, on various issues of brain and mental health have aired over 80,000 times and have been watched by millions of people. He's also a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association and is a pioneer in brain spect imaging. His research on brain imaging was ranked number 19 out of the top 100 stories in science in 2015 by Discover Magazine, and he is also a number one New York Times best-selling author. So I'm pumped to have this chat with him in which he reveals the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. These uh, are featured in his brand new book, The End of Mental Illness, which is a national bestseller, which you should definitely go and check out. It came out last month. And uh, I'm excited because this guy is super smart, super compassionate and um, knows his stuff. So if you have a friend or loved one with any kind of mood disorder or if you struggle with um, mood uh, yourself um, or you have any kind of any type of brain health issue, um, I would humbly submit that you uh, listen closely to this episode of the show and share it with your friends and loved ones. Before we plunge headfirst into this chat, I want to give a shout out to uh, the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Birch Benders. Birch Benders makes a line of super delicious pancake and waffle mixes um, that can be used for a lot more than making pancakes and waffles. True story, the other day I um, was making a, a yet another quarantine meal with my brothers and my dad, and we decided to make super healthy grass-fed meatballs. We had sort of like an Italian themed vibe to the dinner. And uh, obviously, I'm not going to use actual bread um, in my meatball recipe. Uh, so what I did instead of buying um, almond flour or, you know, one of these like substitutes that you'll see mentioned if you Google like paleo meatball recipes, I remembered that I had an open bag of birch benders paleo pancake and waffle mix in my cabinet. And what I did was I used some of that in the meatballs. I basically used uh, two pounds of two pounds of fresh grass-fed, 100% grass-fed ground beef, and about um, two-thirds of a cup of the Birch Benders pancake and waffle mix. Um, and then I threw in all the usual seasonings, Italian seasoning and salt and spices and things like that, pepper, garlic, lots of garlic. Uh, and they came out amazing. They came out super fluffy. So um, great option for... Uh, you know, making meat dishes, but of course they also make incredible pancakes and to uh, make them, all you gotta do is add water. And the ingredients are all super clean. They're not gonna make you feel crappy afterwards. Um, I'm a huge fan. So if you want to pick up any of the products that Birch Benders makes, you can head over to Birch Benders, B-I-R-C-H-B-E-N-D-E-R-S.com, birchbenders.com and use promo code MAX and you'll get to save 20% off their their mixes come in super handy for a number of different applications so definitely go and check them out and if you are craving pancakes or waffles you know that are super clean not gonna make you feel crappy as i mentioned not using not made using any weird fillers and fake fibers and things like that birch benders is the jam birchbenders.com promo code max You'll get to save 20% off, baby. Next up, I want to give a shout out to Like Hotcakes, who left this very nice review for the show on iTunes. Like Hotcakes wrote, it's right on the label. Five stars. Excellent show. No messing around. No beating around the bush. Max really gets to the heart of what is ailing us. He's not as out there as I would like, or maybe he is, and he's just a sandbagger. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, it's a great show. The Alzheimer's show makes me emo as my dad left his body due to complications from Alzheimer's. Sorry to hear that. Check out the show. Your family and health will thank you. His Instagram is dope too. I, um, really am grateful that you have taken the time to write that. I'm very sorry to hear about your father. Of course, uh, as you may know, I can relate 
And um, yeah, I'm just super happy that you are picking up what we're putting down here at The Genius Life. And week after week, I aim to continue to bring you fresh content, meaningful content, informative content, entertaining content. And by leaving that rating and review and, sh and spreading the word about what we're doing here, that helps me to continue venturing forward in my mission. So please uh, continue spreading the word about the show. Leave those ratings and those reviews. We've got 2,000 ratings um, already on iTunes, and we just crossed the 4 million download mark. So we are cruising, baby, but we want to keep it going. We want to keep growing, um, and you have the power to help. So, yeah. You can also join my text message community by texting me if you live in the U.S. or Canada, the word genius, to 310-299-9401. And, of course, I have my newsletter, which goes out once a week or once every other week. Um, I never spam. I don't give your information out to anybody else. I keep it safe and private, and you can opt out at any time. So if you want to get on my newsletter, that's maxlugavir.com. Just for signing up, you're going to get 11 supplements, or I'm sorry, 10 supplements that you can use. I took one off. The evidence didn't uh, was no longer satisfying me, so I took off the, uh, the 11th supplement, and now it's just 10 supplements that can potentially boost your brain function um, over at maxlugavir.com if you join my newsletter. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for staying subscribed. And now on with the show. And we're rolling. Dr. Amen, thanks so much for being on The Genius Life. Thanks so much, Max. What a joy to talk to you. Yeah, I know. We've known each other for, for quite a while. And it's, um, I, I always love whenever getting the chance to collaborate. Uh, you got to scan my brain on uh, national TV, which was a, which was a pleasure. And... Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of your work, really ushering in the notion of um, preventative brain health and preventative mental health, which we're going to talk about over the next hour, uh, into the mainstream. So thanks for your work. Well, it's just changed everything in my own life and the lives of people I love. And uh, just grateful that you helped me share it. So let's start at the, um, I guess, at the beginning for listeners who might not be familiar with you. What is your background what kinds of things do you study and treat in your in your clinic so we have eight clinics around the united states and i am a classically trained psychiatrist that just completely took a left turn um so the short story is i'm one of seven children growing up my dad called me a maverick and to him that was not a good thing in 1972, the government still had a draft. I turned 18 um, and it ended up as an infantry medic where my love of medicine was born. Um, but about a year into being a medic, I realized two important things about myself. Um, I didn't like being shot at. <laughs> I just couldn't get used to the whole idea. Um, and I didn't really like sleeping in the mud. That's just sort of not me. And um, I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician and developed a passion for medical imaging. Our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? And that became a theme of my life. Um, after I got out of the military in 1975, I went to medical, I went to college and then medical school. And in 1979, I'm a second year medical student when someone I love tries to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her. That ultimately it would help her children and even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable. So I fell in love with psychiatry more than 40 years ago and I've loved it virtually every day since except I fell in love with the only medical specialty that virtually never looks at the brain. And I knew back then that was insane that if we didn't, you know, how can you make diagnoses with no biological information based on a group of symptom clusters? And I just thought, well, that's crazy. So somebody's got to change this. And over the last 40 years, that's what I've been trying to do. You're kind of famous for or infamous for uh, running running brain scans on people, specifically SPECT scans. 
And you've at this point amassed more than 160,000 of these scans of various people's brains. What what are SPECT scans and what do they what do they show you exactly? So we actually didn't start with SPECT. We started with quantitative EEG, looking at the electrical activity in the brain. When I was back in the army, I was stationed at a place called Fort Irwin in the Mojave Desert. And when I started looking at the brain, it was just so interesting. I mean, I knew we had to do that. Um, but in 1991, I went to a lecture on brain SPECT imaging, S-P-E-C-T, and SPECT looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how the brain works. And compared to the EEG work I was doing, the images were more detailed and uh, in many ways more helpful. Um, we still actually do both at Amen Clinics because you, know, you just want to get as much data on a person's brain as you can. And, uh, but SPEC gave us these beautiful 3D images of the brain and it basically tells us three things, good activity, too little or too much. And um, we have this massive database, but I'm not the only one that does it of, you know, the people they sell the medication we use to do the scans. There are 160 places in the United States. I have eight of them. So other people do it for Alzheimer's disease, for stroke, for head injuries, for seizures. Um, I just figured out how to use it for resistant psychiatric problems because it's just unconscionable to me that people make complex diagnoses, put people on medication with no information about how their brain works. And some of my critics, you brought up the infamy part, some of my critics will say, well, it won't give you a diagnosis. And that's absolutely right. You have to talk to people. But giving someone the diagnosis of depression doesn't tell you one thing about, well, why are they depressed? Is it because their brain works too hard or not hard enough? Is it because they have a traumatic brain injury or they've been exposed to some form of environmental toxin? And a clinical history plus imaging dramatically improves outcomes. And, you know, that's why we come to work to get people better. And I published a study on 500 consecutive patients showing our outcomes are better than anyone else's that publishes outcomes in psychiatry. That's amazing. I love that you talked about the multifactorial nature of depression, that depression could be the, you know, the observable result of any number of uh, of factors, and in your new book, um, you, you, the end of mental illness, you talk about um, this. So, what are some what are some potential causes? Do you think for people uh, in the modern environment to become depressed? Well, so the heart of the book is this mnemonic um, called Bright Minds. A long time ago, I came to realize if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place. You have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. Um, this is the best referenced book I've ever written. It has 1,086 references in it. So the things that we're going to talk about, it's not something, you know, I just discovered in one research study. Um, so the mnemonic we created is called Bright Minds. And B is for blood flow. So well, what's the cause of depression? It's low blood flow. Um, blood flow, low blood flow is actually the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease, but it's also associated with ADHD, schizophrenia, and depression. Um, so why don't you want low blood flow? Well, blood brings nutrients, but just as importantly, it takes away toxins. And if you have low blood flow, either because you have vascular disease, hypertension, you don't exercise, 
you have erectile dysfunction, if you have blood flow problems anywhere, it likely means they're everywhere, then these things put you at risk. And, you know, one of the saddest stories uh, that really taught me about this connection was when I was in medical school, my grandfather, who I was named after, who was my best friend when I was growing up, um, had a heart attack and subsequently developed a major depression Mm. after his heart attack. And what I learned at the time was 60% of people who have a heart attack will develop a major depression in the next 18 months. So there's a huge connection between heart and vascular problems and mental health issues. And, you know, it's like if you have blood flow problems anywhere, like your heart, um, they're everywhere and boosting blood flow. So with each of these risk factors, it's like, okay, how do you know if you have it? So you could get a scan, but not everybody can get a scan. Um, Hypertension, heart disease, sedentary lifestyle, erectile dysfunction is gonna tell you you probably have lower blood flow. Um, Also caffeine and nicotine. Caffeine is not a health food. Um, Nicotine and caffeine both constrict blood flow to the brain. And so if you think that's one of your risk factors, exercise, eliminating caffeine and nicotine, getting your blood pressure treated, supplements like Ginkgo. I'm a huge fan of Ginkgo because the prettiest spec scans I've ever seen are in people who take Ginkgo. Wow. Uh, And then foods. I know that's a particular interest of yours. Um, Beets increase blood flow rosemary, um, oregano, uh, garlic, cayenne pepper, all increase blood flow uh, to the brain. So how easy is that? And basically it's love each of these um, risk factors. I mean, love your blood vessels and then avoid anything that hurts it hypertension, nicotine, caffeine, heart disease, and then do things that help it, including coordination exercises. So that's actually really important. There's this back bottom part of your brain called the cerebellum, which is Latin for little brain. It's 10% of the brain's volume, but it's 50% of the brain's neurons. It's the CPU, the central processing unit in the brain and you activate it by doing coordination exercises like dance, tennis, table tennis. Um, And people who play racket sports live longer than everybody else. People play football and soccer live less less long than anybody else, but racket sports, uh, people just live longer. And I think it's because they're activating their cerebellum, which then in turn activates the rest of the brain. So I'm a huge fan of the cerebellum. So that's just the blood flow. R is retirement and aging. When you stop learning, your brain starts dying. I is inflammation. And, you know, we could talk about that for the whole hour. But if your gut is unhealthy, if you're low in omega-3 fatty acids, If you have a processed food diet, you're more likely to be inflamed and inflammations associated with both depression and dementia. If you have periodontal disease, you know, if you have gum disease, you're more likely to be depressed. So if you're not eating properly, you're not flossing and you have an unhealthy gut, that all by itself could trigger the depression. So is that a mental illness or is it a brain-gut axis problem? And I would argue it's not a mental illness. It's a brain-gut axis problem. It's a, it's a physical illness manifesting mentally. Yeah, I hate the term mental illness. I've hated it ever since I decided to be a psychiatrist. I think it is wrong. It's shaming. It's stigmatizing. And it causes people to not want to get help. And it's psychiatry's fault. It's not their fault. I think we 
are working on the wrong paradigm. Um, in 1999, or since 1999, cancers declined 27%. Suicide has gone up 33%. If you understand the statistics, the outcomes in psychiatry are no better than they were in the 1950s. Um, every other branch of medicine has made stunning uh, progress. Psychiatry's made none. In fact, if you look at the big innovations this year in psychiatry, it's really using hallucinogens to help with PTSD and depression. And I'm just shaking my head going, this is not going forward, it's going backwards. Um, why? Why are we not making progress? Because we're working on the wrong paradigm. Um, making diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data is insane. You know, it's like, who else acts like that? Cardiologists don't act like that. Neurologists don't act like that. Orthopedic doctors don't act like that. No other medical specialists act like that. And yet we're supposed to guess. And somehow I'm crazy because I think, well, if you don't look, you don't know. You should stop lying about that. Yeah. I want to take just a step back because um, I remember having a conversation with you a while ago about um, alcohol. And I know that you're a big critic of, you know, this idea that alcohol in moderation is somehow good for us. And, you know, you also talked about caffeine and, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the observational data that shows that people who drink coffee, um, a seemingly endless amount of coffee, you know, seem from an observational standpoint to be protected against, uh, any number of brain illnesses like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, even MS. So what are your thoughts on, I mean, if you can go a little bit deeper into why you are um, anti-caffeine from a brain health standpoint and then also alcohol. So let's start with caffeine. Caffeine constricts blood flow to the brain. When I first, because like I, was like, I, didn't, I have no money in this fight, um, but when I first looked at the SPECT literature, they recommended that you scan people off of caffeine because it can constrict blood flow to the brain up to 30%. Wow. Anything that constricts blood flow to the organ prematurely ages the organ. The second thing is it's addictive. Um, the more you drink, when you stop drinking, you get a headache and you get tired and you get irritable. And so I'm not a fan of addictive things. Um, the third thing is caffeine for a significant part of the population disrupts their sleep and sleep is critical. And in the book, The End of Mental Illness, I have a writing device I'm very fond of. And I wrote this whole section on if I was an evil ruler and I wanted to increase mental illness in America, well, what would I do? And there's actually 62 strategies in the book. And one of the strategies is I would have everybody start their days with caffeine and end them with alcohol <laughs> <laughs> because you're artificially going up and then going down, which is clearly not good for the health of the brain. Caffeine also blocks a chemical called adenosine. Adenosine tells you to go to sleep but when you block adenosine, you actually have increased pain. And uh, so for all of those reasons, not to mention a lot of caffeine, a lot of coffees raised with pesticides that I just, and on top of which it dehydrates you. Um, I had to give a presentation this morning to a police department and you know, I'm not having coffee before I have to give a presentation for two hours because right in the middle of it, I'm gonna have to go to the bathroom because it dehydrates you. And your brain is 80% water. So your body is 70% water. So most of us, you know, we're made up mostly of water, but your brain even more so and being dehydrated by just 2% decreases cognitive ability. And so for all of those reasons, I'm just not a fan of caffeine. And yes, 
coffee drinkers, when you look at big studies, there's seemingly the benefit with Parkinson's and diabetes, but there's so many other things you can do um, to get those benefits. Relying on artificial energy just seems like a bad idea to me. Um, alcohol. Uh, my first clinic was right outside the Napa Valley in Northern California. I actually wanted to buy a three-acre vineyard. Um, and then when you look at the scans of people who are drinkers, people that don't have, quote, a problem with drinking, but they're drinking two, three, four uh, drinks a day, they're definitely not healthy. According to a study from Johns Hopkins, people who drink every day have smaller brains. And when it comes to the brain, size matters. It's the only organ in the body where size really matters. And so um, the impact I've seen on scans is uniformly bad. Um, now, does that mean you can't have two glasses of alcohol a week? Yeah, that's probably not going to hurt anybody. But why does my wife, who's a nurse, put alcohol on your skin before she gives you a shot? Because it kills the bugs. Well, how many bugs do you have in your gut? A um, hundred trillion. <laughs> Is it really a good idea to put poison down into your intestinal tract? I'm not sure that's a good idea. And then if you know the research on alcohol and cancer, that there is a significant correlation between drinking and I think it's seven different cancers. And cancer is bad for your brain. I mean, the stress that you're under, the chemotherapy, the radiation, all of those things. On top of which, you know, not to mention the people that die in alcohol-related accidents each year, but as a psychiatrist, I see that alcohol lowers frontal lobe function, making you more likely to say something stupid to your spouse that gets you to be divorced and is involved in a lot of the murders that I've been involved in. I've had the good fortune. I'm not sure that's quite the right word. We've scanned about a thousand convicted felons, a hundred murderers, and a lot of the murders actually happened when people were intoxicated. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, we all know that when we are uh, inebriated, it becomes a lot more difficult to make healthy food choices. Um, like with caffeine, alcohol impairs sleep in a significant way. So, um, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with those uh, those sentiments. What are your thoughts on tea? I mean, tea has caffeine, but surely there's got to be some benefit in a little green tea here and there. Well, I'm actually drinking tea at the moment, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's decaffeinated. But tea has half the caffeine of coffee. And I think there are published benefits with green tea. And so having a bit is fine. But if you're going to have more than a bit, uh, I would switch over to decaf. Otherwise, it's going to hook your brain. And Lord knows there's so many things trying to hook your brain into bad habits. And, you know, I, I liked what you said about decision making um, people. And so why when I go to a restaurant and it happens like almost all the time, the first thing they do is they put bread on the table and then they offer you an alcoholic drink. Now, I know why they're offering you the alcoholic drink because they're going to that's where they make the most margin. Um, but they're also offering it to you because it makes your frontal lobe sleepy, making you more likely to order more, including dessert. But why the bread? What people don't know is bread is a simple carbohydrate. It's broken down to sugar quickly, actually, even in your mouth uh, with the enzyme amylase. And it causes an insulin spike. Uh, your pancreas sees the sugar in your bloodstream. It spikes insulin to drive it into your cells. But that insulin spike drives tryptophan, 
the amino acid building block for serotonin into your brain. And when you get a hit of serotonin, like alcohol, it calms down your frontal lobes. And so the alcohol and bread together decrease the judgment part of your brain. May, even though you walked into the restaurant and you said, I'm going to order the healthiest thing and I'm not going to order dessert. Well, after the drink and the bread, you're all in to make that restaurant more money. Wow. And then you take people who are chronically underslept and it's just a recipe for bad decision making across the board. Across the board and ultimately your health and your wealth and your relationships are dependent on the quality of the decisions that you make. So people that are in chronic financial problem they've made thousands of bad decisions. People are in chronic relationship problems. They've made thousands of bad decisions. People who have chronic health problems, they're overweight or they have type two diabetes. They've made thousands of bad decisions and people don't get that you have to start focusing on the health of your brain um, and give it the nutrients it needs and avoid the poisons that basically steal your decision making. Yeah. Um, I love the bright minds paradigm, the 11 uh, risk factors that steal your mind. And um, we've already covered the B, which is blood flow, the R, which is retirement, and then I, which is inflammation. And I've talked about uh, inflammation <laughs> ad nauseum, I think, for my listeners. So we don't have to we don't have to go there. That could take up its whole, you know, a, a whole an entire episode on its own. But what about what's next? So we've got the G and the H and the T. Uh, what do those what do those stand for? So G is for genetics, uh, but we think about genetics wrongly. Uh, I think people go, "Oh, obesity's in my family. I'm doomed." Or we have diabetes in my family, or bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia, and and that's just a lie. The genes load the gun. It's what happens to us that pulls the trigger. And I say genes are not a death sentence. What they should be is a wake-up call. So um, I dedicated the end of mental illness to my two nieces who actually live with me, uh, Alizé, who's 15 now, and Amelie, who's 10. And they're loaded for mental illness. They have a family history of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, addiction, uh, personality disorders, incarceration, almost anything you can think of in psychiatry, it's in their family. But as I said, genes load the gun. It's what happens to us that pulls the trigger. Unfortunately for them, they were raised in chronic chaos. They're with parents who suffered with depression, addictions, domestic violence. They went to many different schools and about four years ago, they were taken by Child Protective Service and put into foster care. And at the time, my wife, Tana, was estranged from her sister, the kid's mom, so we had no idea what was going on. But when we got a call uh, from Child Protective Services, we knew we must act. And it was the worst week of my marriage because, you know, I'm all a child psychiatrist. And I'm like, no, the kids cannot stay in foster care. This is not OK with me. And I, I even though I hadn't spent any time with them, really, I'm like, you know, we, we need to rescue them. And she's like. Well, I grew up in crazy and I am not inviting crazy into my home. I've been spending my whole life trying to get away from crazy people. And so it was the worst week of our marriage until we sort of compromised, wrapped services around the mom who, you know, now was willing to get help. And on Mother's Day 2017, she was able to get the children back. And then, you know, we moved them uh, close to us and then in with us. Um, and the end of mental illness. So we just agree that these girls are extraordinarily high risk, both genetically and environmentally. The whole idea behind the book is how do I end it in them and their babies and grandbabies? And so, yes, they're genetically loaded, but 
they're both getting straight A's in school. They're both extremely social. Um, they're happy. Um, they're no longer addicted to hot Cheetos. Uh, and you know, it's sort of the whole point of the book. Yeah. Genes are not destiny. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're definitely not. Um, so that's, that's great. I, I really appreciate that because a lot of people feel like they are locked into their quote unquote genetic destiny, but, um, you know, their environment plays such a huge role in our risk for, uh, disease as well as, you know, our risk for, um, issues related to mental health. So moving on, what, what does the H stand for? Well, H, and there are a couple of these that are epidemic uh, in proportion. Inflammation is epidemic. Um, the H is head trauma. Oh, wow. Uh, your brain is soft about the consistency of soft butter. Your skull is really hard and has multiple sharp bony ridges. Mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives and nobody knows about it because they end up seeing psychologists or psychiatrists who've never looked at their brain so they don't understand the depression, the panic disorder um, is really a result of a concussion they had or a car accident they had or a fall um, at the store they had or fall down stairs or fall out of a tree when they were a child. Um, if you said, hey, Daniel, single most important thing you've learned from 160,000 scans, mild traumatic brain injury is a major cause of psychiatric problems. And nobody knows about it because this whole profession is not looking at the brain. Um, I, 2009, I started the big NFL study we did at a time when the NFL was basically lying that they had a problem with traumatic brain injury in football. I partnered with the Los Angeles chapter of the NFL Players Association. And to date, we have scanned over 300 NFL players, high levels of damage, um, four times the level of depression as in the general population. But when we put them on a rehabilitation program, the same one I talk about in the book, 80% of our players get better blood flow to their brain is better. Their mood is better. Their sleep is better. Their motivation and their memories are better. I mean, that's sort of the whole point of the thing is you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. Um, and one of my favorite treatments for traumatic brain injury is something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Well, we, you know, of course, we get them to eat right, but putting them in a hyperbaric chamber can help reverse the damage. For people with uh, concussion, um, you know, or even TBI that don't have access to a hyperbaric machine, I mean, what are some, uh, obviously the advice is to protect your head, but for people who maybe have suffered a concussion, um, with the acknowledgement that there's no one size fits all recommendation here. I mean, what are just some general tips to, uh, you know, make sure that the damage isn't, uh, further along by, you know, insults in the environment? Well, um, what I did with my NFL guys is everybody went on a multiple vitamin. Why? B6, B12, and folate uh, have been shown to decrease the conversion of mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease. So I'm thinking, let me give them nutrients. I then put everybody on a high dose of high quality omega-3 fatty acids um, and a combination and a ratio of 60% EPA to 40% DHA. And then I um, gave them a group of nutrients like ginkgo and phosphatidylserine and huperzine A all to support the brain through a multiple mechanism uh, approach and, and that's what we did. And then we scanned them two months later and repeated their cognitive testing. And the results were just stunning. Uh, my research team was just blown away by how many of these brain damaged people got better, you know, and things like we talked about mood, memory, sleep, motivation, and blood flow to their frontal lobe. So simple inexpensive things, fish oil, multiple vitamin, nutrients to support your brain in a number of different ways. Everybody can do that. 
I mean, as you said, the most important thing is prevent the next concussion. And one of the things I talk about in the book, people who've had a head injury or, or a concussion, I mean, I really think of them as the same thing, that um, they often get headaches and become light sensitive. Um, they may have depth perception problems, have trouble driving at night, for example. They develop this thing called the Erlen syndrome, I-R-L-E-N, and colored filtered lenses can just make a huge positive difference for them. And, you know, I've had thousands of people over the years diagnosed with the Erlen syndrome. And Again, just these simple colored filtered lenses can make a huge difference for them. And I have information about that in the book. That's fascinating. Do you ever recommend uh, krill oil over fish oil? You know, uh, my listeners might be familiar with the that there's a different chemical sort of makeup of the DHA fat in krill oil versus uh, standard fish oil. Do you have any thoughts there? You know, I've not seen enough research showing that krill is superior and it's more expensive. Um, but there is thousands of studies using fish oil. And um, what a lot of people don't know about fish oil is because people generally think DHA works in your brain and EPA works for your heart. But the studies on ADHD and depression, um, DHA doesn't really work at all for those. That EPA works um, more for anxiety and memory is DHA. But I like a combination. And, and I quite frankly think everybody should be taking fish oil. I did a study on 50 consecutive patients who came to our clinics. So we did the omega-3 index uh, with a study called omega Quant. And 49 of them had suboptimal levels of omega-3 fatty acids. And then I published another study on looking at your omega-3 level and your hippocampus. And hippocampus is one of the major memory structures in the brain that's also involved in your mood. And when omega-3 level fatty acid, when omega-3, three fatty acid levels were low, the hippocampus was smaller in activity. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I mean, DHA is, is important as a, you know, one of the, one of the most important structural building blocks in the brain, but EPA is, I think it's powerful for cardiovascular health, which we know, as, as you mentioned, uh, is crucial when it comes to having good brain health, but then also its ability to be anti-inflammatory. Um, you know, and create these compounds like resolvins, which help to uh, basically pump the brakes on the inflammatory cascade. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's a that's a great recommendation. Um, I want to get to I want to go through all the different letters. So we're up to T at this point. You know, another epidemic is T is for toxins and, you know, looking at spec scans and I'm a psychiatrist. And when I first started doing imaging, I was the director of the dual diagnosis unit, which is a psychiatric hospital unit that also takes care of substance abusers. And it's sort of where I learned alcohol is not a health food and marijuana is not going green. Um, I'm actually quite horrified that, you know, made the presidential debate that Joe Biden said, you know, I'm just not sure the science is there to legalize marijuana everywhere. And Cory Booker made fun of him and basically said, are you high? And um, that was very disturbing to me because I published a study on a thousand marijuana smokers. Every area of their brain was lower in blood flow. That's not a good thing. Wow. And then in 2018, I published a study on 62,454 brain scans. It's the largest imaging study ever done. And we looked at how the brain ages from nine months to 105. And it's really got a fascinating pattern on how it ages. But then we looked at, well, what accelerated aging? And nicotine did, alcohol did, but marijuana did it way more than either nicotine or alcohol. So the idea that 
marijuana is innocuous is just wrong. And for example, kids, teenagers who smoke have a 450% increased risk of psychosis. Teenagers who smoke have a higher incidence of anxiety, depression, and suicide in their 20s. Um, I mean, should it be illegal? No, please don't put people who smoke marijuana in jail. That's a bad use of our resources. But let's not say it's innocuous because I just don't believe that it is. Um, but then, you know, and looking at the scans, sometimes I get scans that were just flat out toxic in people who didn't drink or weren't doing drugs. And then I'd, it really stretched my mind because I didn't learn anything about this in my residency uh, at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center. So I went to sort of a pretty cool place. Um, they didn't teach us at all about environmental toxins and their impact on mental health like mold or um, virtually every firefighter's brain I've seen has a toxic look because of the carbon monoxide they breathe or the cyanide they inhale when, you know, they're leaving burning furniture that releases these very nasty chemicals. And then if you just read the product labels or your shampoo or, or your underarm deodorant, they have things like parabens and phthalates that are toxic to brain function and they're hormone disruptors. They're, um, you know, they decrease your testosterone or your thyroid or your um, estrogen and progesterone. Um, you begin to get horrified. So I talk about this app I like called Think Dirty, where you can scan all of your personal products and it'll tell you on a scale of one to 10 how quickly they're killing you. And a number of people think that toxins are actually a major cause of obesity and diabetes, that it's not just you're out of control eating that's the cause. It's because you're being poisoned. Yeah, I love that. Um, there was a study, I believe it was published out of uh, York University that found that over a 60-year period, you know, between now and the 1960s, I believe, you had to be consuming um, that to maintain the same body weight, you have to be consuming 10% fewer calories today. Uh, for whatever reason, we just seem to be getting fatter and calories are not the, you know, cannot and energy expenditure are not the sole explanation for that, that they're there, that, you know, that it's the confluence of these factors in the environment. Um, so yeah, I, I very much, uh, very much appreciate that. And so, you know, you obviously want to avoid anything toxic if you can. Um, and I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley where we had smog days. So I know I breathed in a lot of toxins just growing up where I did. It's one of the reasons I don't really want to go to China because the air pollution is so bad. Um, but, you know, there's a recent article in the news about it's like 60% of the country still has, you know, multiple toxins in the drinking water. And so you always want to be supporting the four organs of detoxification. So your kidneys drink more water, your gut eat more fiber, your liver um, kill the alcohol and eat brassicas, which are basically detoxifying vegetables. What I had for lunch today, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, broccoli, and um, sweat with exercise or sweat with saunas and people who take the most saunas actually have the lowest risk of dementia. And I actually think in your book, The Genius Life, you talk about saunas and I talk about them in the end of mental illness as well. Indeed. I, I'm a huge fan of saunas. I just want to clarify because I don't like to get facts wrong on my show. Um, the York, York University study found that for the same amount of calories consumed and energy burned, a person in 2006 would weigh 10% more than a person in 1988. So... 
you know, there's obviously a lot of confounding variables, a lot has changed in the world, but, you know, our, our ever-present exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals, um, you know, is one, is one plausible explanation uh, among, among others. So um, moving on, yeah, I mean, would love to get to, to minds. And I mean, your book is so full of information, so I feel like, you know, readers, uh, listeners have to go out and pick up The End of Mental Illness. It's amazing. Um, but I just love, you know, you're, uh, we're so aligned in so many ways and I love that you don't hold back, um, in your recommendation. So I just, yeah, I would love to go through the last five if we can. So M is for mind storms, which is abnormal electrical activity in the brain. So is that a mental health issue or is it a brain health issue? And I would argue it's a brain health issue, um, that sometimes these storms happen where all of a sudden you have temper problems or anxiety for little or no reason. And what I've seen on scans, it's this abnormal activity in someone's temporal lobe that when I stabilize it, either with an anti-seizure medicine or interestingly, the ketogenic diet, it really helps balance people's emotion. And I got, I've been interested in the ketogenic diet for a long time, you know, being a child psychiatrist and working with epilepsy, but I had a granddaughter that when she was five months old started having wicked seizures and uh, they wanted to put her on a medicine that was $26,000 a dose. And I'm like, well, why not the ketogenic diet? And the doctor said, oh, you know, there's no science behind that. And my wife said she knew the relationship went south when I asked him if he knew how to read <laughs> that you know, it's like, no, there's more than a hundred studies showing it decreased the seizure frequency by 50%. So food really does matter that food is medicine or food is poison. And so, um, it's just a fascinating look at the connection between seizures and mental health and what are ways to balance these storms so they don't have to steal your mind. That's a perfect example of where food really truly can be medicine. There is a there has been a bit of a pushback in certain pockets uh, on on Instagram and on the Internet from uh, what I call like the evidence based, I'm using air quotes, but like, you know, the evidence based, um, Insta influencer community where, you know, they, they really are trying to fight against the term that food is medicine because, you know, people will argue that like food can't cure, you know, diseases like cancer and, and, you know, Alzheimer's disease and things like that. So I like to I like to say that food is a form of medicine, but certainly in certain in, for certain conditions like hard to treat epilepsy, where the ketogenic diet has been used for over a century, at this point, food clearly is medicine for those for those patients. So I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. Poor, poor food probably caused cancer and is clearly involved in Alzheimer's yeah. disease. Um, there's a study from Australia where they looked at two outer islands. One had fast food restaurants, the other one didn't. They looked at their omega-3 index and their Beck depression inventory. And the island with fast food restaurants had significantly lower levels of omega-3 fatty acids in their blood and five times the level of depression. It's the food. Yeah. Get your food right and your mind will be better, which is why in the book there's a chapter um, called Food Made Insanely Simple, which I love that title. I love that, yeah. I mean, there and there was the, the, the SMILES trial that was published out of uh, Deakin University in Australia where they used food as the intervention to treat major depression, and they saw huge results. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm definitely in the food is medicine, food is a form of medicine, whatever, you know, semantic variation uh, you want to use, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So uh, we are, we're up to I. So the second I is immunity and infections. Uh, I'm in a new docu-series with Justin Bieber. He just uh, released Seasons and I'm on episode five. 
And uh, he came out publicly that I've been his doctor for a long time. And it was very clear to me something was attacking his brain. And, you know, people can go, oh, it's fame and, you know, the trouble in his family. But, you know, when you have the kind of experience I have and you look at his brain, you go, no, something's attacking his brain. And he ended up with an autoimmune encephalitis, uh, which was an immune reaction and showed up positive for Lyme, uh, which is of epidemic proportions now in the United States. Um, and also Epstein-Barr, um, and he had antibodies to the, his dopamine receptor sites. And you know how important dopamine is to just being able to feel normal. Um, so really strengthening your immunity and simple things like mushrooms and onions and garlic. Um, and brand new study out this morning on saffron that saffron helped to treat rheumatoid arthritis which is an autoimmune um, disorder. Um, and in the book, Under Inflammation, I talk a lot about gut health, but 70% of your immunity is actually housed in your um, intestinal tract. And when it's not right, uh, you get attacked. And I tell this great story of Adriana in the book, um, sweet, smart, bright, she's... Uh, 16, goes on vacation to Yosemite with her family and they're surrounded by six deer and they think it's a magical moment. But 10 days later, she's hallucinating, delusional, aggressive. She ends up in a psychiatric hospital. Um, the doctor who was trained at Stanford tells the mother she has schizophrenia. She has to take this medication for the rest of her life that her mother just needs to sort of get over it and, um, you know, get on the medication bandwagon. If you knew her mother, she's not going to do that. Um, and six months later, this child is a shell of herself and her mother brought her to see us. Her brain's on fire. We're like, why is her brain on fire? And turned out she had Lyme and on an antibiotic on uh, brain healthy habits over the next year, she got her life back. Um, subsequently graduated from Pepperdine with honors, recently got her master's degree from the University of London and human resource management. And every day about noon, I get a text from her mother, how can I pray for you today? Um, infections and autoimmunity are a major cause of psychiatric problems and very few people know about it. Even though Brain on Fire was a monster bestseller in this country, they even made a movie out it on, about it on Netflix where a New York Post reporter um, basically is having OCD, paranoid, psychotic symptoms. And it was only by random chance that she had some abnormal blips on her EEG that they didn't send her down the psychiatric rabbit hole to hell. Um, and they figured out she had an autoimmune encephalitis and on treatment, she got her brain back. Wow. All I can say is I wish uh, I had known that you were Justin Bieber's doctor because true story, I was at dinner last night in LA celebrating my little brother Ben's birthday and he was sitting with his crew one table over for me. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I've, that was my first time seeing him in person. And, yeah, uh, he's really a sweetheart who's, he's just got a big heart. And when you understand the whole story, um, you realize one, how fame can damage your brain. Um, but, uh, but there's a way back and he's worked really hard to, to get back. He really easily could have been one of the tragic stories of so many young celebrities. Yeah. Um, we've got, let's see, N, D, and S left. We're in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch and we're almost out of time. So we could just do rapid fire and then my, reader, my listeners will go and pick up the book to do a deeper dive. But let's, uh, yeah, what's, what's the N? 
So, and his neurohormone issues, uh, hormones are like miracle grow for your brain. You need to check them on a yearly basis, things like testosterone and DHEA, thyroid, insulin, estrogen and progesterone for women. Um, so learning how to love and care for your hormones, your mind is going to be dramatically better. D is diabetes, which we could talk about for an hour. 50% um, of the population is diabetic or pre-diabetic. 72% of Americans are overweight. 40% of us are obese. I published a study that showed as your weight went up, the function of your brain went down in every area of the brain. It's almost a linear correlation. Um, so getting your diet right and your weight right is just absolutely essential. S is for sleep. Uh, on average in 1900, Americans got nine hours of sleep at night. Now we get six hours and 40 minutes on average. You cannot go through that kind of change in such a short evolutionary period without it having a dramatic negative effect on mood, on focus, on um, cognition. So making sleep a priority. And we talked about caffeine and alcohol. We could also talk about gadgets and blue light. Um, just making sleep a priority and sleep apnea is becoming an epidemic as well. Um, but if you have untreated sleep apnea, you're more likely to be overweight, but you're also more likely to be depressed. And is that a mental illness? I would argue, no, your brain is starving uh, for oxygen and it's a brain health issue. Get your sleep right and your brain often follows there's uh as far as i know there are are there two types of sleep apnea there's central which is sort of you know um the result of you know something going on in the brain but then there's also a mechanical sleep apnea when people are overweight that tends to be the largest risk factor risk factor am i am i wrong you're right, right. and so you, you know the when a person's carrying too much weight that's one cause, but you can be thin and have sleep apnea. And the problem is a lot of people are sleeping alone. And so they don't know that they snore, that they stop breathing at night. And when I, I can see evidence of it on the scans of really looks like damage to their parietal lobes, the top back part of your brain, one of the first areas that dies in Alzheimer's disease. Whenever I see it, I send people for sleep studies. And it's, it's consistently one of the most positive interventions to get sleep apnea treated that gives them energy for their brain. I mean, just think about it. Your brain is the most oxygen-hungry organ in the body. It's 2% of the body's weight, but uses 20% of the blood flow and oxygen. If you starve it, I mean, just think of somebody putting their hands around your throat. I mean, it's going to cause you to be very unhappy and panicked, but that's what's happening all night long where the brain is not getting the energy it needs in order to function properly. And sleep's really important because when you sleep, you're consolidating memories from the day, and your brain cleans and washes itself. So if you're not sleeping enough in a healthy way, trash builds up, which puts you at more risk for things like Alzheimer's disease. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to an app that I use to wake up. It's called Sleep Cycle. I have no affiliation with the company, um, but it's, a, it's an app that you use as an alarm clock and it wakes you up when you're in your lightest phase of sleep by listening to your to your bed and it, it determines based on the ruffling of the sheets uh you know when you're going to be in your lightest phase of sleep and that's the point at which it wakes you up but the reason why i bring it up is because it's got the microphone on and it's monitoring your sleep it also lets you know how many minutes of the night you've snored and so for people who live alone i think it's a really great tool to know about because you know, I mean, I don't think I snore. And thankfully, according to the app, I don't snore. So it, it has confirmed that. But uh, to try it, you know, to try the app and it'll let you know whether or not you snore, because otherwise there's no way there's no way of knowing if you if you sleep on your own. 
it's really important and technology can help us uh, and it can hurt us, but using it in a helpful way is so important. Agreed. And you know what? Favorite chapters in the book is mind medicine versus nutraceuticals. It's uh, well, what's the science behind supplements? Because a lot of doctors will say, "Oh, there's no science." And again, I go, "Do you read?" Um, there are 286 scientific references in that chapter, and I have this cool way. At least I think it's cool. Like, if you have ADHD. Before you go on medication, do these 11 things. And, or if you have anxiety or depression, before you go on medication, think about doing these things, including what supplements you might think about. Um, just because once you start psychiatric medications, and I'm not opposed to them, I'm just opposed to doing it with no biological data. Um, before you start psychiatric medications that will change your brain to need them in order for you to function. Um, what are some natural things that you can try um, to see if it won't be helpful for you? And we just have a lot of experience. Um, I don't know, thousands of testimonials showing that when people go on things like saffron and omega-3 fatty acids and the right kind of B vitamins, that their mood is better, their mind is better. Well, man, I love it. The End of Mental Illness is your new book. I'm super, super excited uh, for listeners to get their hands on it. And this was, I had a ton of fun talking to you. We're, we're just so aligned in so many ways. Before I ask you the last question that gets asked to everybody that's on this show, where can listeners find you? on social media, and also where is the book available? So the book's going to be available March 3rd everywhere. And um, if they go to endofmentalillness.com, they can actually download a whole bunch of wonderful free resources if they um, pre-order or order the book after the launch date, um, including... Um, a cookbook that my wife wrote called the 10 day brain boost. Um, we're, we're just, I'm just so grateful to you, Max, for helping me get the message to the world. Um, mental health issues are just growing exponentially and we need to just take a completely new approach. And I say the end of mental illness will begin with a revolution in brain health. Love it. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, Dr. Amen, thank you so much for your time. And the last question is, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? It's to take care of your brain. It's if you want to be as smart as you can be, if you want to be as loving, as connected, it starts with the decisions you make, which is a direct result of the physical functioning of your brain. Love it. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks for your time to all you guys out there in podcast land. I appreciate you. Take a moment to spread this episode of the show. Share the knowledge that Dr. Amen just so generously dropped on us all. And uh, I will catch you on the next episode. Peace, guys. Take care of your brains.